Hello, Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio, where we help you navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just doesn't work for Lyme disease. You need Lyme Ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and in this episode, number 109, we interview Lyme expert, Dr. Chad Edwards. Also, with us in the studio all the way from the left coast is our certified show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn how Dr. Edwards' time serving as a special forces doctor influenced how he practices medicine, how he deals with the complexity of Lyme disease by keeping patient health front and foremost, and the use of Argent and hyperbaric oxygen therapy in treating Lyme disease. Thank you, Aurora. And you will notice by the end of this interview that it's really quite short. And unfortunately, we had to cut the interview short. Dr. Edwards is a tough man to get hold of, so it wasn't easy to reschedule. So we just decided to go with what we had. It's great information. We're going to try and get him back on the show in the future. And we just had to get this out to you because it's such a great stuff. He has such a great approach toward Lyme disease, and, and patients are lucky to have him. But before we get into today's interview, I want to make sure you've picked up our Brain Fog Breathing Cheat Sheet. In fact, I was just talking with a friend of mine outside of Philadelphia, and she said she was using it while she was hanging out in the ER, getting some side effects from her Lyme flare treated. So it's a great technique to use to help clear your brain fog. And if you haven't gotten it yet, just go head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com front slash brain fog and sign up to get it. Again, that's LimeNinjaRadio.com with a little front slash and then the word brain fog and you will get it. All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about today's guest and Lime expert, Dr. Edwards. Dr. Edwards holds a B.S. in exercise science and sport medicine from Oklahoma Baptist University and attended medical school at the Oklahoma State University College for Health Sciences and completed residency at Womack Army Medical Center in Fort Bragg. During his time in the Army, he served several special operations units. He served as a battalion surgeon for a special ops unit, a flight surgeon, and a dive medical officer. Dr. Edwards is the medical director for the Patriot Clinics, which specialize in healing traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder using hyperbaric oxygen therapy. He is also the medical director of the Full Circle Health Clinic in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thanks, Aurora. And here's our interview with Dr. Chad Edwards. Hello. Hey, this is Dr. Chad Edwards. Uh, Is it McKay? It is. Thank you. All right. So thank you so much for having me on. I apologize for being a minute late. Um, I was, I got a, uh, a real nice study on hyperbarics with, uh, for Lyme disease and I was uh, perusing that, making sure I knew all my, my criteria and all that kind of good stuff. So I uh, wanted to make sure I had dotted my I's and crossed my T's. That's perfect because uh, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. Yeah. <clears throat> now, I, I want to let you know I'm, I don't consider myself an expert in Lyme by any stretch. I've certainly had a number of patients um, you know, with Lyme disease in my clinic, and <laughs> at one point, a couple of years ago, I, I treated one or two successfully, and you know Lyme disease patients tend to flock together, so they all um, you know, communicate through social media and all those kinds of things, and, and uh, it just the, – the floodgates opened up, and um, – 
you know, so that's how I kind of got into it a little bit. And I was like, I don't know anything about this stuff. <laughs> so, uh, they uh, just by, by, um, you know, ipso facto, I became some kind of not authority by any stretch, but I called Dr. Christ. Um, I'm sure you know of him. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I called him and, and talked with him about his, uh, protocols. And, you know, I've looked at the, some of the ILAD stuff and, um, you know, I, I've got a connection with hyperbarics here in town, so we've certainly used some hyperbarics. I'm a big fan of hyperbarics across the board. And, uh, but one thing, and I don't know if you've seen or uh, you probably have, but one of the things that I've used the most is, uh, argentin or, uh, silver and had pretty darn good results with that alone. Oh, I was going to ask if you're adding that to the antibiotics or using it by itself. I've, I've done both. My issue, my perspective, and again, you, like I said, I don't profess to be a Lyme expert, but in, in dealing with it is this, it is so complex and so multifactorial that it's impossible to distill it down to here's, you have Lyme disease, here's your 30 days of antibiotics, you're good. Uh, it's impossible to distill it down to one thing, and if you just do this, here's your solution. And, you know, it, even in this study, uh, you know, the, the patient selection is, is critical and you have to make sure if you get someone with chronic Lyme disease, especially some of these, you know, by Dr. Christ, uh, you know, his criteria is that they have one band positive on their Western blot. And if they've got one band positive, 97% of those patients get better on antibiotics. So, um, when, when we were looking at things, I had, so, I had seven patients. I did kind of an unofficial study and certainly didn't publish anything, but 100% of them improved at least temporarily uh, on silver. But I had, uh, you know, my patient selection varied from them, you know, relatively newly diagnosed all the way up through, um, you know, they had had it for several years. Yeah, and yeah. so when they run a spectrum like that, they don't fit the same definitions. They don't have the same manifestations. So, uh, and many of these, you know, did not, and of course in this, in this study, which I'm happy to talk about, um, they, those guys met CDC quote criteria for Lyme. The ones in my study didn't necessarily meet that criteria, but they had multiple bands positive. It was highly suggestive when you consider which band it was right. or which bands they were. So, you know, we're dealing with the gray and we don't like dealing with the gray. We want black and white and which is very difficult to deal with. So I have a question for you. You're way out there near Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? That's, that's right. And kind of on your own, you've come around to this stance on Lyme disease. So many doctors are close-minded about shifting their mindset. Right. Is it? And I don't. So some of the Lyme patients get extremely angry and you know think it's a conspiracy, so forth and so on. I just think it's they're busy. What's too busy? To right. you know, take more on. What's your take on this coming from the inside? Well, I, I think you know, one, I think it goes to a lack of education, uh, not understanding the biochemistry, the microbiology, and all of the things that can be involved. And then when a patient doesn't meet, you know, the the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for the the all deified uh, criteria by the CDC, then it's a very black and white thing. You either have it or you don't. Right. And if you don't have it, oh, there's no evidence, and they just shut their mind. So what do you do with the patient? And this gets in really into the realm of why I'm in functional medicine and not practicing as I was trained in traditional medicine. And it's simply what do you do with the patients that you're not helping? And the reality is is 
I think that we were not helping more patients than we were helping. And I, I literally had a patient, and again, happy to talk about this. I had a patient that had never left Oklahoma, had literally every possible criteria for Lyme disease, both clinically by her symptoms and uh, by serology. On all of her testing, she had Lyme disease. The infectious disease doctor that she saw told her that he felt that she probably had Lyme disease, but it couldn't be that because, because she had never left Oklahoma. Exactly. We get and this, I'm just like, yeah, you've got to be kidding me. We got the same thing up here. Is that oh, there's they get the report from the county. Oh, it's very unlikely to be Lyme disease because we don't have a re, any reported cases. So they don't right. test. So then they don't report, and then it's a self fulfilling cycle. Exactly. It's, and then you have the patient that walks away not benefited, not helped. Right. Right. Now, what's interesting, uh, there's a company, TGen, out in Phoenix, Arizona. They've got a test coming online. They're getting ready to go to clinical trials this coming spring and then hope to roll it out in uh, the year after that. And by the sounds of things, listening to their director talking, they've got it nailed down. And it's going to be an in-office blood test, just like a uh, strep throat test. And it's going to give you Lyme plus co-infections and a little bit of a differential diagnosis if it's something more like the flu. So it's going to blow the doors off of Lyme disease and and the related co-infections because you're going to actually diagnose it and you're going to be able to tell if it's gone too. And you know, if we just hang That's on. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is amazing. They're doing incredible stuff. What's um, their what's any idea what the cost is? No, it's no. It they're, but I mean, I've got patients that are paying seven hundred dollars for an hygienics test. So yeah, exactly. It's not cheap, <laughs> is it? Yeah, no. This is my understanding of it. It's going to be fairly low cost, uh, office based test. So I will. I, I want to know more about that for sure. Yeah, the the name of the company is TGen, um, and they're out okay. of Phoenix. T G E N. Yep. Okay. And they've they're it's, it's not their first rodeo. They're a big they're, they're kind of most of their research is on the cancer side of things. So they've got lots of facilities and lots of expertise and they've done some other infectious disease type things. And it was a chance meeting be, between this mom whose daughter had undiagnosed Lyme and then so forth and so on and they partnered up and uh, now they're full full force into this thing. It's really amazing. That's amazing. I'm shoot. I might have to do a podcast about that myself. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll send you the information on that. Uh, it's it's a great story. I heard their director talk at a, a one day conference out in Albany, New York, and uh, it's very impressive. It really is. I've also interviewed some other people who are working on various different things, like a urine based test, uh, looking for actually carbohydrates in the urine. So there, there's some interesting people out of the doing things, but it looks like this, this T-Gen group is uh, about uh, 100 yards ahead in terms of getting something out wow. there. That's impressive. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Now, the <clears throat> reason I wanted to talk to you, let me set this up. The reason I wanted to talk to you in a big part is your experience with traumatic brain injury. And from yep. my point of view, there's a lot of overlap between the neurological Lyme symptoms and TBI, traumatic right. brain injury. Right. But before we get into that, can we just have a little bit of your background? Because you've got a fascinating background. First of all, you're an osteopath. Second of all, right. you've been in the Army. Right. 
Yeah, so I, you know, I knew I wanted to be a doctor when I was five. Oh, that no was, kidding. Okay, that was never a question. Uh, wow. That was always the end goal. What did your parents now, do? Uh, I'm sorry. What did your parents do? Oh, my my dad was an he was an aircraft mechanic, but he's also an engineer, and he's probably one of the most brilliant men I've ever met. He was very non traditional in the way he was educated, uh, and certainly the way he operated. And now he has he's got his own business, and basically he's like a radiologist for machine parts. They do what's called non destructive testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he engineers uh, procedures for testing machine parts, and uh, so but he goes out and teaches. How to do, uh, you know, eddy current and uh, ultrasound and X-ray and all these things for machine parts, and so then he'll for American Airlines he worked for years uh, developing uh, specific procedures on how to test these parts. So uh, just really interesting. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, uh, took care of us, and you know we probably gave her our share of gray hair. Uh, <laughs> so that's what uh, that's what they did, and then of course I I always wanted to be a physician, but I also loved. Uh, the army, and I love. I consider myself a patriot, and wanted to, you know, go serve my country and all those kinds of things. So, uh, upon graduation from high school, I was not academically mature when I graduated high school. I didn't go to a high school that that uh, uh, challenged me, and I was I was just not prepared for uh, higher learning at all. So, went and did army stuff. Uh, went. Well, I was a preventive medicine specialist, so I actually would go out and do entomologic surveys. We would do tick surveys and find out the density of certain ticks and those kinds of things, and what diseases do they carry, and you know those kinds of things. Uh, so, really enjoyed that portion, and you know I, I was involved in special operations, and so I was trying to go to the uh, special operations qualification course, uh, special forces qualification course, and kept breaking my feet. Had to make a decision that okay, this is taking too long. Uh, I need to. I wanted to get those things done before I went, into, went on to medical school, and I wanted to take some life experiences with me. And one of the things that the military does a really good job with uh, is having your physicians do what your guys do. Uh, almost, it's it's an industrial medicine approach. And when you're in the trenches with them, you understand what they're going through, so you're better able to make medical recommendations and adapt and adjust based on what you see. So, as a flight surgeon, I had to fly, and you know, I had to. Go. I had to fly, you know, on a monthly basis and have so many hours, and I got to spend time with pilots and know what they go through, and um, you know, pilot fatigue and what's experience, you know, all those things. Then, as a dive officer, uh, you know, we we dive. And of course, I love to dive anyway, which is ultimately how I got involved in hyperbarics, and uh, so working with dive injuries and those kinds of things. Um, and you know, you, you got to go do what it is that they're doing, so you know what they're involved with. Otherwise, you're watching it from the outside, saying, you know, well, don't do that. You know, you, it's like the the um, the fat doctor that you know, the, the runner the <laughs> yes. runner goes to the fat doctor yeah, and yeah, says, yeah. well, you just can't run anymore. And right. it's like, well, <laughs> screw you, I'm not listening anymore. Exactly. You're out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I couldn't ever do that. And it opened up I, I my job. You know, the medical corps in the army. The statement is to conserve the fighting strength. Well, I worked with special operations, and so I get guys that are really good at beating themselves up, mm-hmm. and I've got to keep them in elite fighting shape. So how do we do that? And you have to get creative. And the last thing I can tell them is, well, just don't run anymore. That's just – that's not going to work. So you got to find a way to, to fix these guys, get them back into, into fighting strength. And so I was constantly looking for things, and then when I left active duty, I was approached by the president of the International Hyperbaric Medical Foundation – and uh, said, hey, we need a medical director for, um, you know, treating in, in the Patriot clinics, treating 
uh, PTSD and TBI with hyperbarics. And I was like, well, I know something about hyperbarics. And so he said, listen, uh, you know, come be our medical director and, and help us with this. And so absolutely. So that's, I've been, it, it's really, you know, it doesn't take a ton of time. I, I, you know, I've got my clinic full time and that's what I do, but when they need something, they'll call me and, uh, those kinds of things. So, uh, we, we treat a lot of patients, uh, in Oklahoma with a number of conditions, uh, using hyperbarics. We've got limited access right now. All, all we have is in Oklahoma City. Uh, we want to get it set up in Tulsa, working on that, but, you know, getting the funding to get that up and running is challenging. So that's what they've been working on for several years. So can you com- comment on, like, there, there are different levels of, you know, what you're talking about is a really high grade medical device there, and there are lesser devices out there. Are, right. are the lesser ones effective at all? Are you wasting your time? Well, the whole issue with hyperbarics is what is the what is the pressure or the partial pressure of the oxygen that you're trying to treat with. Now, Dr. Christ is doing some things about using plain air because they think that nitrogen under pressure uh, is is part of the benefit. I don't know that I totally agree with that. I don't know that the mechanism is quite there, but uh, he may certainly know more about that than I do. The issue is getting oxygen under pressure. So if we're uh, you know dealing with partial pressures, if if the air, atmospheric air, uh, you know, which is roughly 14 psi, a little over 14 psi, um, if if it were 50% oxygen and 50% nitrogen, then it would be seven psi of each. So the partial pressure of oxygen, seven psi. If um, you know, so in in if we were breathing 100% oxygen at 14 psi, that would be considered two atmospheres of air uh, or of oxygen. So when we're talking about hyperbarics. The, the smaller chambers, usually they'll get about 1.3 atmospheres of pressure, which at sea level we have one atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And of course, breathing 21% oxygen, you know, you're getting, uh, you know, roughly a little less than 30%, probably about 27% oxygen. Whereas with higher level devices, un- unless you're getting 100% oxygen, then you're getting 1.3 atmospheres of oxygen. So it just depends on how much pressure can you get in those things. Um, the study that's been done with hyperbarics and Lyme disease used double that. So, you know, I, I can't say is it a waste of time. Well, I would say there's no harm. Um, I mean, there's there's very little likelihood of harm. Are you wasting your money? I don't know. Okay. So, tell me more about this study. Yeah. So, this was done by uh, a PhD out of uh, Texas A&M uh, named Fife. And he enrolled uh, – well, he ended up having 91 patients that completed the study, um, and he goes into the background of why hyperbaric oxygen uh, in, in briefly in the study. But at the end of the study, it was like 84 percent uh, noted good improvement, 84.8 percent 84. showed significant improvement by a decrease or elimination of symptoms. So you're talking something that's – I mean that, that's a high – It's a home run. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. And all of these patients had verified, validated Lyme disease by CDC criteria. And so what do you think the mechanism is? Well, that's a good question. Uh, the background in his, uh, in his paper talks about how when they took blood out of a patient and transferred it to another patient um, in room air basically, it, it, w- it allowed – transference of the bacteria but if 
they transferred it in a gas mixture of 4% oxygen, uh, it wouldn't survive. Okay. So they said there's an oxygen pressure in here that it doesn't survive, and we don't know exactly where that is, but it's somewhere between uh, 30 millimeters of mercury and 160 millimeters of mercury. And so then they, they devised the study uh, so that they would get uh, clearly higher benefit or uh, higher levels of oxygen uh, pressure, partial pressure, and uh, let's see what it does. Now, and that's the result they got. Was there any mention of uh, the oxygen being able to penetrate biofilms? Uh, there was not, and that's actually one of the questions that we have because what what we've seen locally, and this gets into a heterogeneous um, population. When you these patients, I would say, were relatively homogeneous. You know, a, a standardized. I don't want to say standardized, but they controlled for many of the variables uh, in their patient selection. What we're dealing with is since I'm not doing a study, I get one patient that says I I feel awful. Uh, they've got a previous diagnosis, or you know we diagnosed or whatever, uh, whether it's by CDC criteria or not, and we say we're trying to get them feeling better. And uh, so hyperbarics is one of those tools that we can use and. That's where it gets into. It's very multifactorial, and what we've seen is that patients with Lyme disease, the, our results are not as black and white as their results, and so it begs the question: Is is your patient selection the same as as his? And I would argue that it's probably not. Right, right. And and one of the one of the questions with that is the biofilms that you mentioned, uh, and. Uh, you know, the guy that does my hyperbaric stuff, he's like, you gotta, you've, you've gotta do something to overcome the biofilm. And do you have, what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, one of the things that he proposed was, um, EDTA, uh, that there's some question that that can, uh, break down some of these biofilms. Uh, my thoughts and my perspective is I work on overall health across the board. So I look at it very multifactorially. What all is there? What can we do to increase their health, help them feel better? Um, and like I said, I've used uh, silver and, and have seen some good results with that. Now, I see with some of the other clinics you're involved with, they do some laser therapy. Do you use that at all? I've not. Uh, I, you know, there's so many therapies out there that yep. <laughs> you know, can be used, and I, you know, you just can't be an expert in all of them. And I would argue I'm probably not an expert in any of them, but, um, uh, <laughs> But it's there are so many things out there that I would love to get more into, and there may be significant benefit to it. I just haven't had a chance to get to that frontier yet. Yeah, my my feeling is well, I'm not going to really comment on the lasers, but the if we can figure out we the broad community here figure out some sure. way to break down biofilms, um, and whether it's you know multiple antibiotics or whether it's some sort of mechanical electrical means, whether it's light or magnetism or something like that, just to, to chink down the biofilm and give the immune system a chance to, to break through there. Uh, or even some of these Trojan horse approaches, there's uh, people doing liposomal uh, delivery of um, herbal supplements. I don't know. I haven't seen too much of that on terms of the antibiotics yet, but uh, right. so, sometimes there's a theory that the, the bacterial biofilm will bring in the liposomes, the fat modules, 
and uh, right. take them in as nutrition. And then once they break that down inside, aha, you know, we've got you from the inside out and we'll begin right. to, to take care of it that way. So there, there are some interesting approaches out there and, and that may, you know, may or may not. And the other thing about the hyperbaric that's interesting, and I'm sure that's part of the crossover with the, the TBI, the traumatic brain injury is a lot of Lyme physicians are talking about kind of the chronic Lyme being also a mitochondrial dysfunction and right. mitochondrial exhaustion or damage. And so you would think that the extra oxygen there would help build that back up. Is that correct? There's some, there is some question about that. Um, I, I, I can't say that that's the, you know, the end all be all that that's, that is the solution. I don't know that any of us really know. And again, I, I think mitochondrial function, I mean, I see good benefit to overall health and just my overall uh, approach is that health and disease are mutually exclusive. You can't have one and be the other, uh, that, that you're either healthy or diseased. Uh, you know, it's, if we're overly simplistic, uh, you can distill it down to that. When I can't identify the real underlying problem, then I say let's not lose the forest for the trees uh, and let's focus on getting healthy. And so I do everything I can to get healthy. And many times a lot of problems will either subside completely or diminish. And, you know, so at the end of the day, do I care? Uh, not totally. I, I just want my patient better. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It absolutely does. All right, Dr. Edwards, thanks so much. Hey, I appreciate you. Yep, bye-bye. All right, bye. This was a really great interview. I hope we can get Dr. Edwards on again in another year's time. Uh, Me too. Yeah, he and, you know, he said at the beginning of the episode that uh, he wasn't a Lyme disease expert. He had just managed to, he just had some Lyme patients. But I think it's really telling that, uh he was recommended and after being able to treat a few patients successfully that people with Lyme disease kept coming to him. Yeah, that's a really good point. Just speaking with him for the few minutes that we did, you can see why people would be attracted to him just as a human being. He's uh, got a great sense of humor. He listens. And, you know, when we call somebody a Lyme expert, it doesn't mean that they're the foremost person in the field and they've been studying Lyme disease for 20 years and have research grants or that they've treated 10,000 patients. You know, there are a few people out there like that. But really, in our mind, a Lyme expert is somebody who is in the trenches working with Lyme disease directly, as opposed to, say, just like a health expert. Because we've interviewed people about magnesium and vitamin C specifically, uh, vitamin D as well. We've also interviewed an expert in Pilates, and she didn't know anything about Lyme disease. But she's an expert in Pilates. So that's really, when we're talking about Lyme disease, we're really talking about somebody who has some Lyme literateness. Is that a word? That Lyme has, literacy. <laughs> there we go. Some Lyme literacy. Thank you very much. Yeah. Help this English major out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Who does have some Lyme literacy? So while, you know, technically in, in publishing medical journals, something like that, we wouldn't consider Dr. Edwards a Lyme expert compared to so many other doctors out there in our neighborhood, in your neck of the woods, Aurora, really, and across the country, across the world. He is truly an expert, even though he's being quite humble about that. Somebody will just sit there and talk to you about Lyme disease instead of chasing out of the office. That really is 
80% of the battle, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Did you find a comment this week, Aurora? Yeah. Uh, Catherine says, I need help. I've been battling confirmed Lyme for 14 years. You know, I'm glad you pulled this comment up because, A, we can't really give specific advice over, as a matter of fact, there's a disclaimer at the end of the, every show saying that this is not individual medical device. That, you know, that's really reserved for a special relationship, a therapeutic relationship between a patient and his or her uh, partner in that, whether it's a doctor or a naturopath or nutritionist or whatever the case may be. We can answer some general questions and really we can understand, you know, one of the reasons I'm glad you brought this up is it's such a cry for help. And even going down to the Lyme conference that was hosted by Sinai Medical School uh, in New York, what's clear is there, there just such a lack of randomized placebo controlled studies out there testing what works. So we're really based, all of our treatment options at this point are are based on the clinical experience of the practitioner. And that's why there's such a wide variety of of things available and things people saying are working from lasers to homeopathy to herbs, so forth and so on. Some of them might be placebo, which is just fine with me. If you can get better from Lyme disease with placebo, that's a great thing in my book. However, we d- we don't know, and I think that really is one reason we get people like Catherine crying out for help, you know, on on the internet. Just they don't know where to turn because so many doctors don't know where to turn. And then you add that with all the the hostile opinions that some of the infectious disease people have toward people with Lyme disease. It makes it really really tough. So I have lots of sympathy for Catherine. I would encourage you to search around, talk to your friends, network, and find somebody who is least willing to listen to you and willing to work with you to begin to form some sort of plan to to deal with your Lyme disease. I know it's so frustrating. I was just talking to uh, a former client today, and she's just going through a major flare right now, and it's she's so distraught because she may have to give up going to the gym, and that was one of her big wins was she gets to go back to the gym, but Lyme disease looks like it's going to take away that from her again, and it's just so hard to keep your head in the game and keep positive and keep moving forward. So thank you for writing in, Catherine, and thank you, Aurora, for bringing that to our attention. If you like Lime Ninja Radio, click on over to our website and leave a comment or a question. If it's a general question, we'll do our best to answer it. If it's specific help, sorry, we can't help, but we will be sympathetic. And finally, after that long rambling monologue, sorry, Rory. You're fine. Lastly, as long as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we gave you the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know a ninja can pick oranges from an apple tree and make the best lemonade you've ever tasted? Lime 
Ginger Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.